Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast, the incremental anti-diet solution for effective permanent weight loss. Primal Potential is committed to helping you overcome emotional eating, hormonal imbalances, unhealthy habits, and your dieting mindset through education and inspiration. We don't just talk about what you should eat and what you should avoid. We talk strategy. Primal Potential is bridging the gap between knowing and doing. Each episode will leave you with concrete tips for making positive changes that make a difference. Primal Potential is here to help you lose weight, get healthy, and master fat loss naturally. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton, and I'm so glad that you are here with me today. And I'm not going to lie, today is a podcast that I really hope goes viral. I hope it gets shared and shared and shared. I hope you email it to your friends and tag them on Instagram and Facebook. I hope you tweet it out because the world needs to hear this. If people can grasp this concept and absorb it and let it influence the way they think about calories and fat loss, I think the world will be a better place. (laughs) I think the world will be a healthier, leaner, and more rational place, which is, I mean, that's just a good aim, right? We are going to be talking about calories. And we like to feel productive, and so we like to count calories. It's like our little way of kind of controlling things. And we like numbers and absolutes and finite answers. Like if you tell me that if I eat this number of calories, I'm going to reach my goals. And so I will maniacally focus on that number. But we are not absolute beings. And calories are not as absolute as people think they are. Unless we are burning them in a closed chamber in a laboratory and we want to measure how much energy they release, I mean, we are not a closed system. Our bodies are not a laboratory and we should not be so twisted over calories unless we fully understand them. So today I'm hoping to untwist some of you. And some of you won't want to hear this and that's totally cool, no hard feelings, but we are going to dive in because I have a lot to talk about on the topic of calories and you know I really feel that it will resonate with a lot of you and I hope again that you share the heck out of this episode. We are going to establish four primary reasons that calories are not created equal, and I want to really focus on how we are misleading our efforts when we count calories. Because honestly, a calorie is not a calorie, and calorie counting is just not an efficient, effective, long-term way to lasting fat loss. And it's really not the way to health or sanity either, really. There is an easier, more effective way, and we'll get to that towards the end. We're going to talk about what calories are and what they are not, and why calorie counting is misleading, why some people do see results with calorie counting, and how you can more easily and accurately plot your way to fat loss, even if you are a control freak who wants to feel better when you're counting calories. We're going to talk about, you know, kind of a smart way to do that if you're going to do it. So 
I've talked before, way back at the beginning of this podcast, about what calories are. And a calorie is merely a unit of measurement, just like an inch or a mile or a degree. It is a unit of measurement, the energy potential of something, the energy potential within the food that you are measuring. And the way this is tested is by burning it in a closed system and seeing how much heat is released. But the problem here is that humans are not a closed system. Now, we want clean answers. We want somebody to say, this is how many calories you burn at rest, and this is how many calories you burned in your workout, and so if you eat this many calories, you're going to lose fat. But I'm sorry to break it to you. That is just not the way we work. And guys, I mean, honestly, just from a common sense perspective for a second, if it was that straightforward, wouldn't we all not have weight problems? I mean, if we could control calories and have them come from whatever we want, wouldn't we all just miraculously lose weight? There are so many millions of people who have not seen the results they want, even when calorie counting. So we are not a closed system. We are not in a lab where our bodies are not, you know, little glass boxes where energy is only released. That's how calories are measured, but we are not an out-only system. Foods and the calories they contain, they do way more in the body than just release energy. They influence satiety, metabolic rate, brain activity, blood sugar, right? And they impact our hormones And these calories, depending on what they come from, initiate either fat storage or fat burning. So they act in very, very different ways. So let's start with reason number one. Reason number one that calories are not created equal is that the human body is not a closed system with calorie burning being the only output, right? We breathe, we move, we have to use these calories, we have to metabolize and digest and absorb. So looking at it purely based on how it reacts in a closed system is highly misleading. 100 calories of cookies and 100 calories of ground beef beef burned in a closed chamber will release the same amount of energy in the form of heat because we're measuring calories is the energy potential, right? But again, our bodies are not closed chambers where we're setting our dinner on fire and measuring the heat released. I hope we can all agree at least on that. So we have to consider the impact of the fuel type on digestion and metabolism, absorption, the usage potential, how it can be used by the body, the storage, and our hormones if we want to be really clear on calories as they impact our health and impact our ability to burn fat. We are not a closed system, and that is the only way that calorie counting is truly accurate if we were a closed system, and we are not. So I want to take a little bit deeper dive and go into reason number two, that calories are not created equal, and that is the fuel type, even when equal in calories, determines the metabolic pathway. There are different metabolic pathways for different types of fuel, even when calories are constant, stay the same, when it's the exact same amount of calories. And this is true too, just because it's the same macronutrient, it does not mean, so whether it's a carbohydrate or a protein or a fat, looking at two different types of carbohydrates does not mean it's handled the same way by our metabolism. It is not. 
And these metabolic pathways determine how much energy of what was consumed is used up in the process, right? Just going through the metabolic pathway and therefore how much is left over to be burned or stored as body fat, right? And this determines the likelihood that whatever is left over is going to be converted to and stored as body fat. And that's majorly, majorly, majorly important. In the episode about um, fructose and high fructose corn syrup uh, last week, we talked about how when we consume foods containing glucose, that glucose can be metabolized by every cell in the body, brain cells, muscle cells, you name it. Fructose, on the other hand, though a sugar and therefore a carbohydrate, can only be metabolized by the liver, right? So 10 calories of glucose is not the same as 10 calories of fructose, and one is much more likely to be stored as fat than the other. One has a very different hormonal impact than the other. I want to look at a really powerful example here. There are millions of examples we can use, but I'm going to borrow an example that's been previously shared by Dr. Mark Hyman, and I love this for many reasons. I love this because we're we're comparing the same amount of calories, right? We're going to be looking at 750 calories from two different things, but from the same macronutrient. So 750 calories of one type of carbohydrate versus 750 calories of another type of carbohydrate. And we're going to compare, um, borrowing from this example from Dr. Mark Hyman, 700 150 calories from soda, and we did an entire podcast episode last week on soda, so if you haven't checked that one out, definitely go back and do that. 750 calories from soda compared to 750 calories from broccoli. Both of these are carbohydrates, okay? You could do this with any food. You could do 750 calories from almonds and 750 calories from ice cream, but it's very powerful to point out that the metabolic pathway is determined what by what the calories come from, not the calorie count itself. So 750 calories of soda is about the same as a as a big gulp from 7-Eleven, and you've got 100% sugar, which is about 46 teaspoons of sugar. And if you're thinking, well, I would never have a big gulp, it's about the equivalent to just over three 20-ounce bottles of soda. So many people will knock back three sodas in a day. All right, so when we're looking at these 750 calories coming from soda, you're going to very, very quickly absorb the high volume of sugar in the soda. And the sugar comes from fructose and glucose. And again, if you haven't listened to the soda episode, it might be a good one to, to go back to. The glucose is going to raise your blood sugar and trigger a significant release of the hormone insulin to help usher that sugar out of your blood because it can't stay there. Of course, you can only deal with the glucose in terms of sending it out to your body. The fructose must be handled exclusively by your liver. So all the cells in your body can use the glucose, but the fructose can only go to the liver. So 750 calories from some other source may or may not have this significant impact on blood sugar and insulin, even if it is a carbohydrate. That depends on where the calories come from. But in this case, we see a large surge in the hormone insulin, which we know increases fat storage, especially in and around the abdomen. It increases inflammation and it increases stress hormones, right? Plus, this massive influx of sugar from 750 calories of soda is going to trigger the pleasure center in your brain, making you want more. 
Your energy is going to go up for a little bit, but it's going to come crashing down because soda does not stabilize your blood sugar. It creates major volatility there. And this is going to negatively impact both your mood and your energy within just a couple of hours. And then there's the fructose, the other type of sugar that we're seeing in soda. Again, this can only be metabolized by your liver. It cannot fuel your muscles or your brain or anything else. It can be stored in the liver or and this is a more likely scenario, converted to and stored as fat. Fructose is more readily stored as fat than any other carbohydrate out there. And I talked about why this is uh, in the episode on fructose and high fructose corn syrup, which I will link to in the show notes for this episode over on primalpotential.com. So this fructose is very, very likely to be converted to fat in the liver. Beyond that, it is not going to trigger your brain that you've just ingested a huge amount of calories. It is not going to trigger the brain to trigger satiety. So it's not going to suppress hunger. So you've just ingested 750 calories, but you are not going to get a suppression of your hunger or an upregulation in satiety or feelings of fullness. That is a bad, bad situation. And to make bad worse, the soda doesn't have any fiber. It doesn't have vitamins or minerals or anything like that that helps you with the process of metabolism. And here's the thing we often forget. Metabolism has requirements. It's not like we just eat and the body goes poof, you know, we're going to be able to use everything. In order to metabolize what we eat or drink, the body needs a little help. It requires vitamins and minerals to make metabolism happen. And so when we consume calories, like in the ca- in the case of soda, that are totally void of nutrients, we're drawing on our own nutrient reserves to process empty calories. Soda is calorie rich but nutrient poor, and it's taxing on the body because we have to take take vitamins and minerals from other places to fuel the metabolic process instead of using vitamins and minerals that come in with that food if we had eaten something that was not so nutrient poor. And this makes us overfed but undernourished. And this is not just a problem if we're trying to lose some weight. This is a big problem for health and longevity and energy and performance and mental focus and just about everything that's kind of important for us human folk. All right, so let's look at the second example from Dr. Hyman's example here, and that is 750 calories of broccoli. And again, the reason I love this example is that both soda and broccoli are carbohydrates. It's not like comparing 750 calories of beef to 750 calories of white bread, as many people do. And those obviously have very different effects and metabolic pathways, but but when we do that, when we compare beef to, say, white bread, the if-it-fits-your-macros crowd will be like, that's why macros matter. Well, my little macro lovers, in this case, we're looking at carbohydrates. Soda is a carbohydrate, and so is broccoli. If you're new to the podcast, yep, it sure is. Though Weight Watchers loves to tell us that fruits and vegetables are, quote-unquote, free. Nothing is free. Vegetables are carbohydrates, and so are fruits. And that's what makes this example, in my mind, so powerful because we're looking at how vastly different 750 calories of two different types of carbohydrates, two of the same type of macro, respond in your body. 
Okay, stepping down from my my soapbox, let's dive into what the body does with 750 calories from broccoli. Compared to soda, broccoli as a carbohydrate is super high in water, super high in fiber, and very low in sugar. And for these reasons, it's much more slowly digested and it's not going to lead to the blood sugar and insulin response that we see with the soda. So the 750 calories of broccoli is 21 cups of broccoli delivering roughly just under 70 grams of fiber. Remember the 750 calories from soda was just over three 20 ounce bottles or one big gulp. Can we just pause here for a second and imagine eating 21 cups of broccoli? It would take forever. But three bottles of Coke? No big deal, right? We could easily do that in a matter of a couple of hours. So the sugar in 21 cups of broccoli is only about 1.5 teaspoons. Uh, So the rest of the carbohydrate in broccoli is coming from primarily the fiber and is very, very, very slowly digested. And it takes a lot of energy from the body or calories to digest this, right? There's so much fiber in all of the broccoli that very few of the calories can actually get absorbed. And those that do get absorbed, it happens very slowly. And the slow absorption makes it so that you do not see this rise in your blood sugar or the insulin response. And there is no tax on your liver, no fat conversion in the liver. Totally different response than what we see with the same amount of calories from a different type of carbohydrate in the example of the soda. Plus, with this 750 calories from broccoli, your stomach is going to be sending signals to your brain that you're full and suppressing ghrelin, the hunger hormone, right? And there is not going to be this trigger of the pleasure center in your brain that happens with this uh, rise in blood sugar. So you're not going to be seeking out more of this delicious broccoli like an addict the way we do when we consume simple sugar. So are you with me so far? In this, I mean, I love this example, but in this example, we kind of touched on point number three that we're going to move on to, which is that we see a vastly different hormonal response with the same number of calories when the calories come from different things. But for the sake of clarity, we're going to separate this out as point number three so that we can kind of focus on it for a second. So not only can the same amount of calories, right, even the same amount of calories from the same macronutrient group, carbohydrate, protein, fat, not only do they go through different metabolic pathways and therefore have different propensities for fat storage and satiety, but they have a majorly different response on our hormones. And why does that matter? We talk a lot about hormones on this podcast and also uh, in my ebook about hormones and fat loss, which you can find on primalpotential.com. But hormones are really what allow or disallow fat burning. In certain hormonal environments, we cannot burn fat. It's not possible. In other hormonal environments, we can. And what creates these favorable or unfavorable hormonal environments? In large part, almost entirely, it is what we eat. So that is point number three. Even when calories are exactly equal, The source of the calories can have a vastly different impact on our hormonal balance and therefore either allow or disallow fat burning. 
In the example of the broccoli and the soda, you see that the soda, a carbohydrate, 750 calories, has a massive impact on insulin, which keeps us out of fat burning mode and puts us in fat storage mode. And it also mutes our satiety signals or our feelings of fullness, right, because of the hormone leptin. And this is due to the exaggerated blood sugar response when we consume 750 calories from soda. Beyond that, it goes even further. The fructose from the high fructose corn syrup in the soda is not going to trigger the suppression of ghrelin, our hunger hormone. So even though we've loaded up with 750 calories from sugar, we haven't really made a dent in our hunger. On the flip side, the broccoli does not trigger insulin, so it is very favorable for allowing fat loss. The broccoli also suppresses ghrelin, the hunger hormone, and it does that by expanding the walls of our stomach during digestion, which suppresses ghrelin, the hunger hormone. It also, when we consume this broccoli, triggers the release of leptin, our satiety hormone. So not only are we not hungry, we also feel full, which you can imagine if you were to sit down with a massive heap of broccoli. So we have the same macronutrient, same number of calories, vastly different hormonal response. One allows fat burning, one does not, and it doesn't stop there. Because of the fat storage triggered by the soda, we're increasing the likelihood of estrogen production and storage, right? Excess estrogens are stored in and produced by our body fat. Our body fat is an active endocrine organ that actually creates more estrogen excess, okay? So that is a hormonal impact of this 750 calories from soda or less, obviously. Because of the insulin response triggered by the soda, we also increase our stress hormones like cortisol, which has a trickle-down effect on our adrenal hormones and our thyroid hormones. But we see the opposite impact with the same number of calories from broccoli within the same macronutrient class, right? When we consume the broccoli, it actually helps to excrete and metabolize estrogen. Totally opposite reaction, even though it's the same number of calories and the same macronutrient. Plus, with the broccoli, we do not trigger the stress response because we avoid the impact on insulin, so we don't trigger cortisol there. Again, same calories, same macronutrient, opposite hormonal reactions, completely 180 difference. One favors fat loss and health and nutrient delivery and energy and mood stability, and one, the total opposite. So reason number four, that calories are not created equal, relates to something called the thermic effect of food. And the thermic effect of food essentially accounts for how hard the body has to work to digest, absorb, metabolize whatever it is that you have eaten. How much of that energy you've consumed as measured in calories the body has to use, right, in order to process it, to metabolize it, to extract that energy itself. And the more highly processed, whatever it is that you have eaten, the less work your body has to do to metabolize it. The less energy of what you've eaten is used during metabolism. And that means there is more to store afterwards. And ultimately, that's really what matters in terms of like 
energy intake, what's left, right? Not so much what we eat, but what is left over to be stored or used, okay? In the example that we've been talking about, the same amount of calories from the same macronutrients, soda and broccoli, the body has to work way harder to extract the nutrients from broccoli, primarily because of the fiber content and the complexity of the carbohydrate. It just takes more time and energy for the body to metabolize that complexity. It uses up more energy, so the net result is fewer calories left for your body to say, okay, what do we do with this? Where is this supposed to go? The soda, on the other hand, is simple sugar. It is metabolized very, very simply and easily and hits the body with the full load of calories. Very, very low thermic effect. And this thermic effect is not just variable within the same macronutrient class. It's also very variable between different macronutrients. And that's why so many people focus when your goal is fat loss on emphasizing proteins over carbohydrates, for example. So let's compare the different thermic effect between carbohydrates. So the thermic effect of carbohydrates, the amount of energy required to tap that energy potential is approximately 6 to 8% of whatever it is that you've consumed when we're looking at carbs. On the flip side is protein. The thermic effect of protein is as high as 25 to 30%, a huge, huge difference. So the body has to use up more of the energy delivered by the protein just to get it metabolized and digested and absorbed, right, compared to carbs. So if we look at 100 calories of carbohydrate, you are looking at a net calorie burden on the body of 92 to 94 calories. So it's, you know, thermic effect not that substantial when we're looking at carbs. Of course, it is variable depending on how much fiber, but broadly speaking as a class. Protein, on the other hand, 100 calories of protein consumed, you're looking at a net of about 70 to 75 calories. Now, In the scheme of an example of 100 calories, not a huge difference, but in the span of a day and a 2,000 calorie diet, that can make a huge difference. In the span of a week, it has a massive, massive difference. Okay, so when we look at how the same number of calories impacts our bodies differently, it's also largely about how we feel and how hard it is to comply, right? Because if we're eating a total number of calories from foods that increase our satiety or our feelings of fullness, decrease our hunger, decrease our cravings, stabilize mood, that is a whole lot easier than the equivalent number of calories from foods that trigger cravings, trigger hunger, decrease energy, lead to mood swings. And I don't know about you, but I want to make it easier on myself, not harder on myself. And calorie count does not paint that picture. So if you feel like you're relying on willpower and everything's so hard and you're always starving, you're not sleeping well, and you have low energy, it might be from this exact thing. And people can lose weight in the short term by focusing on calories, but you can't deny the research, right? The research shows that people who are on calorie-restricted diets lose weight and almost always, higher than 80%, put it back on, right? Calorie counting is not about decreasing hunger and decreasing cravings and making life easier. When we just count calories and we aren't focused on quality food that is favorable in terms of its hormonal response and favorable in terms of our hunger and our energy, right? 
we're undermining our metabolism and we are drawing on our willpower, which we know is limited. Now, I would be totally remiss and I'd get completely beat up if I didn't acknowledge that some people love to count calories and some people lose weight and some people even lose fat because there's a difference there while counting calories. But here's the thing. If I decided, like me, Elizabeth Benton, I decided I was going to count calories, I'd continue to burn fat. Why? Because I'm going to eat quality foods, right? I mean, I could count anything, right? It, It doesn't really matter. I count anything and I'm going to continue to make progress because I am focused on foods that create hormonal balance and that make me feel good, that decrease my hunger, that increase my satiety, that stabilize my energy and my mood. Of course, right? I know what works, so I'd just be tallying that up. And some people are losing weight, but they're not losing fat, right? So they could be losing muscle mass. They could be shedding water, They could be really damaging their metabolism because of the hormonal impact of the calories that they are consuming and what those come from. Some people who are counting calories have no energy and they're totally miserable, but they keep doing it to see the number on the scale move, but it's not sustainable because they're miserable. And some people are really great at counting calories while focusing on food quality. One piece of advice that I give people who who are really focused on that number is let the calories go for a couple of weeks while you play around with whole foods that balance your hormones. And we know we can tell when our hormones are balanced by the biofeedback, the hormonal signals that we get from our body, things like the quality of sleep, our energy, our cravings, our hunger, right? So monitor your waist and your hip circumference And how you feel. And when you find that sweet spot where you're losing inches around your waist and hips and your hormonal biofeedback is balanced, do that for a few weeks. Keep steady there and then count the calories and or the macro breakdown there. And then if you want to do it just to keep yourself on track, go ahead. But then you know that you're doing something that works and you're just working within that paradigm, right? That's the right way to do it. That's working back to find that sweet spot. However, once you find that number, don't expect that it will never change because as you lower your body fat percentage, you balance your hormones naturally, right? You're losing weight, you're burning fat, so it's going to take less and less energy to sustain your body unless you're putting on muscle, which is highly metabolically active, right? So your needs are going to change over time. So then go back to that. Ditch the calorie count for a while or the macro count for a while, right? Play around with good, high-quality whole foods and monitor your hormonal biofeedback and your waist and hip circumference. Find that sweet spot where you feel great and you're getting smaller around the waist and hips, right? Those are just two easy measurement points. And then calculate macros or calories and stay there and continue to monitor your progress. So that's the right way to go about it if you're a numbers person that wants some type of accountability, right? But if it's working for you, do what works for you. No problem. Like if you're doing it and find that, you know, you're on the right track, great, fantastic. I think that's awesome. But if you're counting calories and find that you're on again, off again, or you lose the weight but you can't keep it off, or your body composition isn't changing the way you think you sh- the way you think it should, and I get those emails all the time, like I'm only eating X many calories, but my waist isn't budging. Okay, the plan's not working. Time to change it. Or maybe if you feel like you have no energy and you're not sleeping well, there is a better approach, and it goes like this. 
focus on whole foods that you love. I talk all the time about my personal food rules, like Elizabeth's food rules for Elizabeth. I eat foods I love that love me back. I make enough for leftovers so I don't have to spend a million hours in the kitchen. And I emphasize fat, proteins, and vegetables. Really try to limit those processed foods, regardless of their calorie count. I don't care if it's a 100 calorie count of like Doritos. That's not a hormone balancing fat loss food you should be putting in your body regardless. I don't care if it's seven calories. It doesn't matter. Number two is to follow the golden rules of carbs and fat loss. And I will link to that in the show notes, but that is a game changer for results for people. And when you focus on whole foods that you love and you follow the golden rules of carbs and fat loss, it gets so much easier for almost everybody. And then number three, do not skip this part, is to monitor your progress. Write down what you're eating, how much and when. Monitor that hormonal biofeedback. You want your energy to be stable. You want your cravings to be low. You want your hunger to be low, right? Unless it's obviously been a long time since you've eaten, duh. Um, And then monitor your waist and hip circumference. Take progress pictures. That was one of the most powerful things. Sometimes the inches would be slow to move, but when I compared those, you know, body shots, I was like, oh, wow, I can really see a difference in my hips. I can really see a difference in my waist. I can really see a difference in my bust. Um, So monitor your progress. And then if you're totally obsessed for whatever reason, because you're super type A with counting calories or counting macros, get to a point where you are feeling amazing that hormonal biofeedback is really where you want it to be, right? And you are getting smaller, burning fat as measured by hip and waist circumference, then calculate what you're doing, stay there, but continue to monitor your progress because know that it's not a forever solution. Your body's going to change and adapt and then go back and repeat the process over again. I really hope this episode was helpful for you. It's one that I've really enjoyed doing. Please let me know if you found it valuable. And more than that, if you found it valuable, please share it with somebody that you think could benefit from really understanding how calories are not created equal. So we'll see you again in a couple of days for another episode. Remember to get on the email list over at primalpotential.com right there on the homepage. All you got to do is put in your name and email address and uh, then you have direct access to my inbox. One quick kind of housekeeping thing while I have you here. If you are on primalpotential.com and you are messaging me through the contact form, Obviously, it requires that you put in your email address so that I can respond to you. And a lot of you are like fat fingering your email address or you have like spam filters. So I'm responding to you, but you're not getting my response because you've either put in the wrong email address or you have a spam filter that's getting my email bounced back. So if you reach out to me through that and you do not hear back, it is because I'm not ignoring you. We respond to every single email, period, no matter what. So um, if you have not heard from me, it is because you fat fingered your email address or it is being blocked by whatever crazy rules you have set up uh, in your email account. So we'll see you in a couple of days. Please share this episode. Let me know if it was helpful for you. And I hope to hear from you on email. Have a great day. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.